What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Harry Potter season here on Cinematic Reviews. I'm your host, Chris, and this is the show about all things movies and TV. Every week, I give my thoughts and reactions to the newest releases, beloved franchises, and even upcoming projects like the MCU and Star Wars universe. You can, of course, support the show by giving it a rating slash review on your favorite podcast service, as well as following it on all social media platforms. All the handles can be found on the Facebook page. Just search for Cinematic Reviews. It helps the show out a lot, and I really do appreciate all the support out there from you guys. You are truly awesome. Today, we continue our journey to Hogwarts with the film that started it all. That's right, I'm talking about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or the Philosopher's Stone for those in the UK. It stars Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter, Emma Watson as Hermione Granger, and Rupert Grint as Ron Weasley. I'm really excited about today's show, so let's jump right into it with some facts about this beloved film. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was released on November 16, 2001, and was directed by Chris Columbus. He is best known for directing films such as Sorcerer's Stone, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Home Alone, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Mrs. Doubtfire, and Percy Jackson, The Lightning Thief. The film had a budget of an estimated $125 million and grossed a massive $1.02 billion. Alan Rickman was handpicked by J.K. Rowling, who of course wrote the novels, to play Professor Snape and received special instructions from her about the character. She even provided him with details of Snape's backstory that weren't revealed until the final novel. The child actors would do their actual schoolwork in the movie in order to make the school setting more real. Platform 9 and 3 quarters was filmed at King's Cross, but on platforms 4 and 5. J.K. Rowling had mixed up the layout of London's King's Crossing Railway Station. Warner Brothers originally considered making the entire franchise as a set of computer animated movies or combining several of the novels into a single film. J.K. Rowling vetoed both ideas, so the studio filmed all eight films back to back. They made the right choice in making a live action film for each novel, I think. Robin Williams wanted to play Rubius Hagrid, but didn't get it because J.K. Rowling wanted the cast to be strictly from the British Isles. Robbie Coltrane was ultimately cast as Hagrid. He was actually the first person to be cast in the film, I believe. 5,000 boys auditioned for the role of Harry Potter, but none of them felt right. Columbus saw Daniel Radcliffe in the 1999 film David Copperfield and knew right away that he was their Harry. Warwick Davis played both Professor Flitwick and the first Green Gots Goblin, as well as provided the voice for Griphook, who was played by Vern Troyer. And lastly, this is the only film where Harry does not cast an attacking spell. Now, let's get to my thoughts on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So, my love for the franchise began with this film. I actually didn't start reading the books until The Prisoner of Azkaban was coming out. After that, I was completely hooked. Harry Potter is one of my favorite universes, and a lot of my favorite memories with my grandpa involve Harry Potter. Him and I always sat down together and watched the marathon when it was on TV. We would talk about what we loved about the film, what was different in the book, did we like the changes, did we not like them. It was awesome. I'll cherish those moments forever. And I get to experience all that with my sister, who is new to the Harry Potter universe. She absolutely loves it. 
Maybe I can convince her to be on the show at some point during the season. I love getting sucked back into this world every so often because it's such an incredible experience. The characters, the creatures, the wand fights, the magic, the set pieces. I love everything about Harry and his time at Hogwarts. So the Sorcerer's Stone stars Daniel Radcliffe as Harry Potter, Emma Watson as Hermione Granger, Rupert Grint as Ron Weasley, the late Alan Rickman as Professor Snape, Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall, the late Richard Harris as Professor Dumbledore, Tom Felton as Draco Malfoy, the late Robbie Coltrane as Rubius Haggard, Ian Hart as Professor Quirrell, and so many more. We just lost Robbie Coltrane in October, so I want to extend my deepest condolences to him and his family. His performance as Hagrid was truly incredible and will go down in cinema history as one of the best. We love and miss you, Hagrid. He is, but the most recent uh, passing that we've had, we've lost many beloved actors from this franchise. Alan Rickman passed away in 2016, Vern Troyer in 2018, John Hurt, who played Oliver Ander in 2017, Richard Griffiths, who played uh, Uncle Vern in 2013, and Richard Harris, who played Dumbledore in 2002, to name a few. We love and miss all of you. Uh, this film follows a young wizard named Harry Potter, who is new to this magical world, that just like the audience, uh, and stumbles across a plot to bring back Dark Lord, who is responsible for killing Harry's parents. The cast in this film is incredible. I can't say that enough. Radcliffe as Harry is perfect. Watson as the intelligent Hermione is one of my favorite castings ever. Grint as Ron is also perfect. I love their chemistry, not just in this film, but throughout the entire franchise. Maggie Smith is a joy on screen as McGonagall. I love her sass, especially toward Ron, Hermione, and Harry. You can tell that she really does care about the students, especially Harry. And Maggie Smith does an incredible job at conveying it throughout this film and the rest of the series. We get two different actors portraying Albus Dumbledore in the series. The first is Richard Harris. He was incredible as Dumbledore. Unfortunately, he passed away early on in the series, so he was only in Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. Michael Gambon uh, would go on to play Dumbledore for the rest of the series, starting with Prisoner of Azkaban. They brought two very different takes on the characters. Harris played Dumbledore as quiet and humble, while Gambon took a more energetic, energetic take on the character. Uh, both were incredible though as Dumbledore, but the recasting definitely changed the franchise. I'll talk about that more in Prisoner of Azkaban, but there's a very noticeable shift in tone once we get to Prisoner of Azkaban. It's a lot darker than these first two films. Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets are much uh, brighter in tone and cinematography. Uh, once David Yates uh, takes over, he really leans into the darker side of the franchise. Columbus made these first two films really bright and fun. Uh, not that the rest of the franchise isn't fun. I'm just saying that Yates chose to take the series into a different direction. He wanted to make it a little more darker, especially visually. Take the Warner Brothers logo and the Harry Potter title splash, for example. With each film, they get darker in color. Just like Harry's journey, it gets darker with each film. The audience gets this sense of fun and hope for Harry with, uh, in these first two films uh, because of the fun and bright tone that Columbus chosen to lean into, and then once we step into Prisoner of Azkaban, Goblet of Fire, and all those, we start to get this sense of all hope is lost, like Harry is in a really dangerous and dark place in his time at Hogwarts once we get to those films. It's really interesting uh, when you notice things like that, especially um, in a series like this where, where uh, 
the directors really make a difference and recasting Dumbledore may not seem like a whole big deal, but it actually is as far as tone. And it's really, really interesting to kind of look at it with that kind of eye. Now, the great Alan Rickman as Severus Snape is probably one of the greatest castings ever. He was born to play this character. He's one of my favorites in the franchise, actually. His arc is incredible, and I'm excited to talk more about him with each film as we go on. I love his arc. One of the best in history, if you ask me. He's such a dick to Harry and the rest of the Gryffindor in these first few films. But once we start to uh, learn more about him and his past, we start to actually relate to him. Uh, you end up loving him by the end of the series. It's, it's incredible writing. This is the magic that Fantastic Beasts uh, was missing. The, the writing is just incredible with these eight films, starting with Sorcerer's Stone. I haven't even gotten to the Quidditch and spells yet. Quidditch was always my favorite parts of the books, next to the wand fights, of course. I wish there was a lot more Quidditch in these films, but I understand with run times and the budget, that's difficult because scenes like these uh, take up a lot of screen time. And, and of course, they're very, very expensive with the CGI and all that. There, there are multiple matches in each book, and I think they picked the right one for this film. If you're going to have a Quidditch match, it has to be Gryffindor versus Slytherin. That's a huge rivalry that everyone wants to watch unfold. And the spells are so much fun in this first film. Spell class with uh, Wingardium Leviosa and Seamus constantly blowing himself up throughout this film while trying to use magic was so much fun. With that, let's take a quick break before diving into today's segments. Check out new release Monday every week here on Cinematic Reviews. This coming Monday, we have a Christmas build episode with my reaction to A Christmas Story Christmas, which follows the now adult Ralphie as he returns home on Cleveland Street to give his kids a magical Christmas like the one he had as a child, reconnecting with childhood friends and reconciling the passing of his old man. Peter Billingsley returns as Ralphie. Also, listen to my reaction to Spirited, which is a musical version of the Charles Dickens story. It stars Will Ferrell and Ryan Reynolds, streaming exclusively on Apple+. Plus. So check out my reaction to these two Christmas films this coming Monday on New release Monday. Now, back to the show. So first, we have standout scenes. This is really tough because I love every second of this film. But I chose uh, about 10 or 12 scenes that really stands out to me every time I watch this. So the first one I have is Harry Talks to the Snake. This is a great way to set up uh, for the audience to like, hey, this is... Uh, something's up with Harry. You know, this kid can talk to snakes and it's kind of weird. Uh, but it's really, this is a huge part in the book. It's a, it's a little different. Uh, and I'll talk about what's different uh, with the book than the movie uh, in the segment later on. But uh, of course, with the films like this, it can't be word for word. The book It's just a lot of it doesn't translate on screen. So this was a little different from the book. I do still like this scene overall. It's really fun and it's really cool to see the first glimpse of magic. Uh, I remember watching this for the very first time and we get Harry kind of talking to the snake and it's, it's really cool. Really cool to see for the very first time. Really awesome scene. I really, really love it. Next we have Hagrid arrives. This is uh, another huge uh, part in the book. Uh, and I remember this being one of the key 
scenes that they would show in the trailers. Uh, we get we get um, so Uncle Vern was really pissed off with all the all the owls showing up trying to give Harry's letter. So they go to that little shack on the island. Uh, but Hagrid still manages to find him. He comes busting through the door, and it's a really really awesome scene meeting Hagrid and him kind of revealing to Harry that there's a whole nother world out there. You know, you're a wizard. Your parents were wizards. And then we have this big reveal reveal that Uncle Vernon and Opportunia actually knew about Hogwarts and all that, but they decided to keep it a secret from Harry because they were basically jealous of Harry's parents for being, uh, particularly uh, Opportunia and Harry's mom, who were sisters. Uh, she, You could tell she was... She only made fun of her because she was jealous. You know, Harry's mom was the lucky one to get magic, uh, become a witch, and Opportunia, unfortunately, was a muggle. But this, I really do love this scene. I know we get the we get the famous "You're a wizard, Harry" from Hagrid, and it's and I really love this scene. It's probably one of my favorites in the film. Next, we have Harry goes shopping at Diagon Alley. This is also a really, really uh, very iconic scene, very fun scene where we get kind of in, we get a little sliver of what the magical world is. We get all these shops and all these magical uh, creatures and all these Hogwarts students shopping for all their school supplies. It's really, really fun. Uh, we get to meet Ollivander, who is uh, runs the wand shop, and we get that really cool scene of him picking out Harry's wand. Uh, we also get another famous line. The the wand chooses the wizard. The wizard does not choose the wand. Uh, I'll probably paraphrase that a little bit, but it's still a really fun scene. I really love uh, every time we go to Diagon Alley. It's really cool to see all that magic. Next, we have the sorting hat. Again, another very iconic scene. This is where we get uh, the, student, the first years getting sorted into their houses. We have Ravenclaw, Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, and Slytherin. Uh, this again is a lot different in the book. It, it's a lot longer. They do things a little differently. And I'll talk about that in the segment, of course, later on in the episode, but still really awesome scene. I love uh, the little action, uh, rea- um, interaction we get with uh, Harry and the sorting hat kind of like, Oh, this, you could kind of tell that the sorting hat wants to put Harry in Slytherin, but Harry's like, uh, hell no, I want to go anywhere but Slytherin. So then he ends up getting picked into Gryffindor, which is awesome. House Gryffindor all the way for me. Next, we have Potions Class with Snape. I love this scene because this kind of sets up um, the Severus Snape character. You can tell right off the bat, he does not like Harry. And then, of course, later on in the series, we'll figure out that it's actually Harry's dad that Snape doesn't like. So he kind of takes his anger out on Harry throughout the series. Uh, but I just love this first kind of back and forth we get with uh, Snape and Harry. And then if you have, we actually watched the extended edition. So there is a deleted scene in this where uh, Snape kind of comes up to Harry and explains all the answers to his questions about the different potions that he was wanted Harry to recite back to him, which is really, really cool. We get more of that tension between Snape and uh Harry. I wish it would have been into the final cut, but of course I understand with run times, this would have been like a three, three and a half hour film if they put everything in there, which I'm totally up for. I mean, we just got four hours of the Snyder cut. So come on, give me three and a half hours of Harry Potter. I'm totally fine with that. 
Next, we get Broom Class with uh, Harry's first uh, ride on a broom, which is really, really fun. Uh, we get the whole uh, kind of, we get more of the Malfoy versus Harry set up. Uh, Malfoy is just, just an a-hole in this series. And then we, in so, this film really sets up that for the rest of the series. Uh, yeah, just a really, really fun scene that I absolutely love watching. We get poor little Neville. He's getting picked on once again. Uh, he, of course, uh, ends up taking a bad trip on the broom, and I believe he breaks his wrist, if that's what what, what happened. Um, Neville always getting the shit end of the stick, unfortunately, in this series. Next, we get the troll on Halloween. Another very iconic scene. Uh, this is where Harry and Ron go up against the troll that is attacking Hermione in the bathroom. Uh, the CGI looks actually pretty good in this. I was really impressed on how... A lot of the CGI, especially in this scene, held up. I mean, it's a little early 2000s that you can tell from what we're used to nowadays. But it's still, overall, the CGI holds up in this film for the most part. Next, we get the Quidditch match. Probably my favorite scene out of the entire film. Uh, really awesome to see Harry in action for the first time as Gryffindor's Seeker. Uh, he is in charge of the Golden Snitch. Uh uh, that of course is uh you catch a snitch you ends the match and you get your team 150 points uh harry of course catches it but not in the usual sense he actually catches it in his mouth which is crazy and yes that does happen in the books pretty much exactly like that uh really awesome i love the action and stuff uh and then there again the cgi is is good for the time that it came out now it kind of looks a little off because we're used to such pristine CGI. But hey, it's uh, you can take it for what it is. It's it's a victim of its time, really. But overall, such a really really fun scene to watch. Next, we get Harry discovers the mirror. So this is the mirror that kind of uh, what's the best way to describe it? It brings forth your deepest desires. So Harry's deepest desire is uh, his parents. Again, this is a little different in the book, and I'll explain later. Uh, but in the film, he sees his mom and dad, uh, which is his deepest uh, desire, is to be with them once again. Uh, then he eventually he brings Ron there, and Ron has his own little uh, desires of being the Quidditch champ and being cheered on and popular at school. Another really cool scene. We eventually get Dumbledore coming in to kind of talk to Harry about the mirror as well. Love seeing those two on screen together. Such a great chemistry between Dumbledore and Harry throughout the series, especially in this first film. Next, we get the tension in the dark forest. Again, this is another scene that I'll talk about in book versus movie because uh, this is a lot different in the book. But still really enjoy this scene. It's a really dark and kind of scary to watch as a kid, but still kind of fun in a weird way. Uh, we get... Uh, Malfoy, Harry, Ron, and Hermione on detention with Hagrid uh, as they go into the dark forest to hunt down somebody that is killing unicorns in the forest. And uh, this is where Harry meets Voldemort for the very first time as he's sucking the silver blood out of a unicorn, which is very disturbing. Uh, but really, really another iconic scene that I remember watching uh, for the first time. Next, we get the three tests. This is where uh, Harry, Hermione, and Ron uh, get past Fluffy, the three-headed dog, and they go down to the trap door, and they have to go through these three tests. We have the 
the the broom test with the key to get the door open. Then we jump to well, first it was the the oh, what do you call it? The vine things uh, where devil snare that's where they get trapped that's the first test so they hermione kind of uses her brain and her book smart to get them past that then we get to the broom test where harry goes on a broom and catches a key for the door and then the third test is uh ron going against the chess uh the chess match which is really really awesome because we get that set up at the beginning of the film where they're where him and harry are playing chess and then we get this life-size version in the the test at the end of the film, which is really cool. And then there's actually another test in the book, which I will talk about in the later on. Uh, and then this will lead to the final uh, confrontation uh, with uh, Professor Quirrell. Uh, these last like ooh, half hour or so, really awesome. I love these, the two scenes uh, with the test and then Harry going up against Professor Quirrell's Splash Voldemort. Uh, very, very awesome. Uh, and then, yeah, that's my final scene on the list is Harry going up against Professor Quirrell, who turns out to have Voldemort on the back of his head, which as a kid used to kind of freak me out seeing it on screen because it's, it's different from reading in the book. You're like, oh, there's a it's kind of ridiculous in the book where it's like, oh, there's a Voldemort's on the back of this guy's head. But then when you see it on the film, it's like, holy crap, there is a face on that guy's head. That's kind of weird and kind of creepy, but still love these two. This last stretch of the film. Really, really awesome. Next up, we have favorite quotes. So again, just like the standout scenes, this is I there's so many good quotes in this, but I picked uh, I believe there's nine on this list that really stand out to me every time I watch this. So the first one is of course the most iconic line in the whole series, you're a wizard, Harry, which Hagrid says to him in the beginning of the film. The next one I have is I'm going to bed before either of you think up another clever idea to get us killed or worst expelled this is hermione to ron and harry after they come across uh fluffy the three-headed dog for the first time i really love this line because it sets up hermione's character as uh what her priorities are she would rather die than be expelled from hogwarts because she's so dedicated on being the best witch in the world such a great line and line delivery from emma watson she is such a joy to watch in this series Next is, uh, it's not the wizard that chooses the wand. It's the wand that chooses the wizard. This is from Ollivander to Harry when he is shopping for his wand. Really, really love this uh, lo love this line. It's one of my favorites, uh, not in, in the film and in the series. Next, we get, uh, this is in uh, nine, Platform 9 and 3 quarters uh, when Harry meets the Weasleys for the first time. We have uh, Mrs. Weasley saying, Fred, you're next. And then uh, George replies, he's not Fred, I am. And then honestly, woman, you call yourself our mother. This was from Fred. Oh, I'm sorry, George. Uh, and then Mrs. Weasley responds. And then Fred says, I'm only joking. I am Fred. Just love how Fred and George are just little a-holes in this series. Because uh, they're just, if I was a twin, this is honestly something I would do with my mom. Just totally mess with her head on who's who. Just really love uh, the Fred and George characters throughout the series. Next, we have Trolls in the Dungeons. And then he faints. Thought you ought to know. Uh, this is from Professor Quirrell on Halloween when the troll attacks. Really, really. Uh, this is an iconic scene to me, uh, lines to me that always sticks out in my head when somebody says Sorcerer's Stone. This is usually the line that I think of first. You know, we get Ian Hart, who's just 
really incredible as this really awkward Professor Quirrell, and he comes in and just totally sells it. You know, obviously he's the one that let the troll out that we will find out in towards the end of the film, but such great acting by Ian Hart and how he delivers this whole little scene here where he comes in screaming troll in the dungeons and then he says, and then he faints really, really well. Then we get a line from Professor Professor Snape, uh, Mr. Potter, our new celebrity. Again, every line that uh, Alan Rickman delivers, it's so freaking good in this series, especially this first film. Absolutely love him. Next uh, quote I have is, feels strange to be going home, doesn't it? Says Hermione. Harry replies, I'm not going home. Not really. I love this uh, this line, and, and I love that it's like the last line that we get from the film because Harry has found a new home. It's Hogwarts. That is his home now. The Dursleys is kind of a pit stop in his magical journey. And I really, really love, uh, really love this, this line. It was so good. And Radcliffe delivers it so well. Next line we get, uh, not Slytherin, eh? Are you sure? You could be great, you know? It's all in, in your head, and Slytherin will help you on the way to greatness. There's no doubt about that, no. This, of course, is the sorting hat talking to Harry uh, when uh, Harry was uh, saying, please, anything but Slytherin. So the sorting hat puts him in Gryffindor instead because, of course, the sorting hat takes your wants into consideration. Really, really awesome interaction between uh, the sorting hat and Harry. Love the animation on the hat. So good. Uh, we just lost the voice actor for that, if, uh, I think, last week or so. I and I really hate this to do this myself, and I can't remember his name, but my condolences to him and his family. Such a great part of this series as well. And then the last line I have is, it's Leviosa, not Leviosar. She's a nightmare, honestly. It's no wonder she hasn't got any friends. This, of course, is Ron making fun of Hermione. And then this sets up Hermione being in the bathroom crying, and then the troll comes in and tries to kill her. Uh, this is... Uh, this stands out to me, too. Uh, Ruber Grint really sells this line, especially the Leviosa part. Uh, this really kind of sets up the roller coaster of uh, him and Hermione's friendship. And then eventually they end up together, which uh, totally don't agree with still. It should be Hermione and Harry. I'm in that camp, and you will be hearing me talk about that throughout this season. Um, because, honestly, Ron and Hermione was so such a left field as far as putting those two together as a relationship. Uh, never understood uh, what her thing, oh, J.K. Rowling's thinking was behind that. Uh, she's even gone on record saying that, yes, she should have put Harry and Hermione together. Uh, but hey, it can't change it now. It's, uh, it, it is what it is. But I do love this setup of uh, Ron and Hermione kind of butting heads throughout the, uh, the series. And then in the books, it actually is, they actually butt heads a lot more. Uh, the films only really scratch the surface of what they actually, they fight a lot, I should say, in the books. And, and yeah. So next up, favorite spell. So this segment was really tough because there are some really awesome spells in this first film. Uh, we get introduced to Hello Homara, which unlocks doors, Incendio, which creates fire, uh, Petrificus Totalis, which was used to petrify Neville at the end of the film, and then Wingardium Leviosa, which makes things float. 
I think I have to go with Wingardium Leviosa. That's my favorite. I could see myself having a lot of fun with this spell. Theoretically, you could lift people up in the air when you get uh, skilled enough. So how freaking cool would that be if you could do that? Uh, lifting the feather is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go with Wingardium Leviosa as my favorite spell in this first film. Next up, favorite creature. Uh, we get introduced to a lot of different creatures, such as messenger owls and centaurs and toads, even unicorns in this first film. But my favorite will have to be Fluffy, the three-headed dog that guards the Sorcerer's Stone. Such an incredible creature. I mean, even the CGI looks pretty good for being in the early 2000s. Fluffy helps give the audience that magical feeling when watching this film. These films are only as good as the spells and creatures in them. That's why I chose them for these two segments of the season. I think they are two of the most important elements in this franchise. So Fluffy is my pick for favorite creature of this first film. Such an awesome, awesome dog. Next up, let's talk about negatives I had about the film. I don't really have any negatives for this film. It's pretty much perfect in my mind. The only one I can think of is, uh, like I said earlier, some of the CGI is a victim of its time. Uh, like the shot of Neville flying on the broom and then getting stuck uh, by his shirt on the gargoyle looking thing. Uh, that was pretty rough uh, if you compare it to the CGI that we're used to having today. Uh, other than that, I can't really think of anything else. I mean, of course, there are a lot of differences uh, between the film and the book, which I'll get into in the next segment here shortly. But that doesn't really bother me because you just can't put everything in the film. Uh, some things work on screen and others only work in the book. I completely understand that. I never expected these films to have everything from the books in them. It's just not possible. I think this franchise is one of the more faithful of uh, the book adaption films that we have. I mean, Lord of the Rings, I think, is the best. Uh, but these Harry Potter films are up there as far as uh, staying faithful to the books. So with that, let's get to the big moment of book versus movie. So the first one on the list is in the film, Hagrid takes Harry to King's Cross to catch the Hogwarts Express at platform nine and three quarters. In the book, Hagrid returns Harry to the Dursleys after they go to Diagon Alley for Harry's school things. And then the Dursleys are the ones to take Harry to King's Cross to catch the train. Uh, not sure why they changed this. Maybe to kind of cement this relationship between Harry and Hagrid, maybe. Uh, but yeah, that's the best answer I can think of for why they would change that. The next one I have in the film, Draco and Harry don't meet until they are about to be sorted into their houses. Uh, in the book, they actually meet at Madame Malkin's robes for all occasions at Diagon Alley. And then again, on the Hogwarts Express. Again, I'm not sure why they changed this. I mean, they could have probably because of the runtime is my guess. I mean, this would be another scene that they would have to somehow squeeze into there. But I think this is would have been really cool if we got this scene to see Madame Malkin's uh, robe shop. Uh, and see these two kind of interact with each other. Next we have, in the books, Professor McGonagall doesn't really have a sassy side to her. She is a wonderful but worried professor who looks out for Harry during his time at Hogwarts. I wish the character had a sassy side to her in the books because it's one of the many reasons the character is so beloved, I think. Uh, that and the fact that Maggie Smith just kills it as Professor McGonagall. Um, the, re the only... Th I'd probably... I'd say she probably has a sassier side in the movies just because that's just who Maggie Smith is. I think I have a feeling that was kind of the energy that she brought onto set. And so they kind of just rolled with it. Uh, 
So yeah, I think that's, I don't think that was J.K. Rowling's initial uh, take on the character. I think Maggie Smith kind of just brought that to the table and they kind of just ran with it, which I think was a great, uh, great idea. That was, that's one of the things that I actually do like that's different from the book is uh, that whole McGonagall character. Next, uh, in the book, there is actually a potions challenge at the uh, after the chess game that Harry and Hermione must pass in order to reach Professor Quirrell. Uh, it is a seven-potion challenge that really shows uh, how great of a witch Hermione really is. It was probably not included in the film because of the runtime, of course, but I think it would have been really, really awesome to see this in the film. We only get a glimpse of how smart Hermione is as a witch. I think this really would have added on to that, especially seeing uh, her in action. I guess uh, the way they kind of set up the film is they they had her challenge be the devil snare one. And then Harry's was, of course, the broom flying. flying, And then Ron's challenge was the chess game. So I guess that they kind of just, because of the runtime, they probably just shrunk it down to three, which I totally understand. Again, the studio probably didn't want to throw out a three, three and a half hour film. So they had to fortunately cut the potions. Uh, honestly, they probably could have cut the Devil Snare one out and then plugged the potion one in. But that's just me. That would have been my choice. So I think it really been really awesome to get some more potions. We don't really get to see much potions uh, until ooh, probably Order of the Phoenix or definitely Hapla Prince. I really think the potion stuff is lacking in this film series. Uh, in the books, it's used a lot more, which is unfortunate because potions are actually really, really cool. Uh, next, uh, also in the book, Ron and Hermione fly on the rooms along with Harry uh, to catch the flying key for the door. Uh, in the film, only Harry flies on the broom. My guess is that the writers wanted Harry to be the focal point of the challenge. Uh, like I said, just like Ron was, the chess game was Ron's challenge and Devil's Snare was Hermione's challenge. They probably wanted Harry to have that challenge for himself to conquer, um, which I totally understand. Uh, that is an interesting way to set up the film. Next, uh, in the film, Harry draws a birthday cake in the dirt and blows out the fake candles at midnight. Uh, in the book, he just watches the clock counting down the minutes to his birthday. I like this change because it really holds at the viewer's heart. This is another one that I actually really really like that's different from the book you get to really relate to not really relate but you get to feel harry's um harry's missing that family dynamic is the best way to call it with uh with you know the dursleys absolutely hate harry don't really celebrate his birthday so then we kind of he kind of has to celebrate on his own drawing a birthday cake in the dirt i can't think of anything more sad than that uh, just a really visual treat to watch, uh, help us kind of relate to and connect with Harry more. Next is uh, Peeves the Poltergeist was cut entirely from this film and the entire series. Uh, in the book, he is basically a prankster that causes chaos at Hogwarts. My guess is that this character just probably didn't work uh, on screen, and I'm not mad at it. I always forget he even exists in this universe to be honest uh we didn't that would have been just another character uh to kind of throw out the audience and make the film a little more bloated so it's probably best that they did cut that character out um next uh in the books the sorting hat sings before the first years are placed into their houses 
they're also sorted alphabetically. Uh, once they're all sorted, Dumbledore gives this silly but amusing speech, and then the Hogwarts school uh, song is uh, sung. This scene in the film is very, very different. The first years are sorted out of order, and the sorting hat doesn't sing. Dumbledore's speech isn't silly at all. It's pretty serious and straight to the point. Um, this would have taken a lot of time, honestly, but I would have been cool to get... It would have been cool to get Dumbledore's wacky speech with the sorting hat singing, but I guess that wasn't really... That wasn't really what Richard Harris was going for with Dumbledore, I don't think. Uh, maybe... Uh, if they would have casted Michael Gambon uh, early on, that probably been something that they could have experimented with because uh, he was more of the wacky and energetic kind of Dumbledore versus Richard Harris went for this more humble and quiet and kind of serious and mysterious uh, Dumbledore in these first two films. So that probably they probably experimented it with, with that and probably just didn't work. Uh, maybe the singing would have been too much as well. Uh, some other smaller details. Harry's eyes in the books are green, but Daniel Radcliffe, of course, has blue eyes. The dark forest is actually called the Forbidden Forest in the book. Uh, I understand this change because sending students into a forest called the Forbidden Forest for detention doesn't really make any sense in my mind. Uh, Neville actually joins Hermione, Ron, Hermione, uh, Harry, and Draco for detention uh, in the dark forest. Uh, not sure why they cut him out. Uh in the book, Harry sees his entire extended family in the mirror, but in the film, he just sees his mom and dad. They probably did this to kind of just really drive home that um, desire to have a connection with his parents. Maybe his whole extended family would have been too much, or they just, budgetary reasons, maybe they couldn't get 20 people in that mirror. Maybe they could only afford two. Uh, then Professor Quirrell's death is a lot different. Uh, in the film, he dies from Harry touching his face. But in the book, he dies when Voldemort separates from his head. Probably didn't translate very well on screen, so that's probably why they changed it to uh, Harry touching his face and burning it. Not Again, I'm not sure why Neville wasn't in detention with them. That's a difference that kind of bugs me. Neville really gets sidelined in these first few films. I think Order of the Phoenix is where he really starts to become part of the group, and we get more of him, which is really cool. Uh, so those are the major differences that I noticed during this rewatch. Uh, there are many other differences, of course, between the film and the book. This would be a two-hour show if I named every single one of them. If you haven't read the books yet, I highly recommend it. There are a lot of great stuff that didn't make it into the films. I'm having a lot of fun listening to them on Audible, along with watching the films for the show. So shout out to Audible. Um, that's a really blast from the past. I haven't read these books in probably 12, 13 years. So it's really cool to experience them all over again as an adult. Uh, but to end the episode, let's, uh, let's talk about the Harry Potter rankings. As a refresher, here is the current ranking of the Harry Potter universe. At number one, Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Two, the Goblet of Fire. Three, the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Four, The Order of the Phoenix. Five, The Prisoner of Azkaban. Six, The Deathly Hallows Part One. Seven, The Chamber of Secrets. Eight, The Sorcerer's Stone. Nine, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. Ten, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And at 11, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. The Sorcerer's Stone is probably going to stay where it's at for now. Uh, just because it's at number eight on this list doesn't mean it's a bad film. It's actually a really incredible film. 
I just think as the franchise goes on, these films get better and better in quality, especially the later ones. I am curious, though, if Chamber of Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone switches places because I had a blast with this rewatch of Sorcerer's Stone. It's probably the one I've seen the least amount of times just because, like I said, I love the later ones more and I tend to just throw those on. Uh, I won't I wouldn't be surprised, though, uh, on next week's episode if I end up do swapping Chamber's Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone. I really, really love this film. Uh, the cast is incredible. The costumes are awesome. There is more wand action in Chamber of Secrets, so that could be the deciding factor. I'm a huge sucker for a good wand fight. Uh, we'll have to wait and find out next week, though. Until then, you can find this list and many more on both IMDb and Letterboxd. Just search for Cinematic Reviews. There are about 60 lists on there right now, with many more on the way. They range from Star Wars to Zack Snyder films to even musicals. There is a list for every kind of fan on there so go and check those out also feel free to share your ranking of the harry potter universe on any of the social media pages i would love to see all the different lists out there well that'll do it for this week's harry potter episode tune in next friday for harry potter and the chamber of secrets also check out new release monday every week for my reaction to the weekend's newest releases this coming Monday will be a Christmas-filled show with my reaction to A Christmas Story Christmas and Spirited. Until then, always remember to swish and flick. Later, everyone. <laughs>